responsibility uh, to open God's Word and say, thus says the Lord, because uh, uh, that is a very humble responsibility and a very wonderful privilege. Uh, today I'm looking forward to walking through with you and answering a question, what makes Christianity unique or different from all other world religions? And on the screen here, you can see several religions represented. Here, the, the circle of, the, of Hinduism, of the life cycle of birth, life, death, rebirth, life, death, rebirth, life, death. And out of that Buddhism that came from Hinduism and, and of course, Islam with the star and the crescent moon and Judaism with the star of David and uh, what we might call animism or uh, a spiritism, a spiritualism, uh, and we're going to answer that question. But first, let me uh, introduce my family. I have a slide here that is my uh, wife is here with me. We're from living in Forney, just down the road from you, and so we uh, are thankful for the privilege to, to serve together here. And we have a young daughter, Caroline, who's seven, and Jeremiah, who turns five next month, so you may see them running around after service. They're such a joy to us. But many years ago, we did go as a young couple uh, to the country of Hungary, and we just loved the privilege we had there to serve and equip Czechs and Slovaks, Hungarians, Romanians at the Bible Institute there. We had 17 different nationalities represented, and so it was a huge privilege to equip and train uh, nationals from all over that whole region of the world that was close to the gospel for so long. And so uh, we're thankful for that. And I get the privilege to go back every year. Uh, this last year I was there two months ago, uh, maybe just a month ago, to teach First and Second Thessalonians. And then finally, as was mentioned in the introduction, I do have, love uh, the opportunity to host the Bible and Theology Matters podcast. And we just started this week. We release one every Thursday, and it's a conversation with different scholars and Bible expositors about Bible and theology. And this last week, we started our World Religions uh, series. And so I had um, George Walker on the program who uh, worked with the Basodio people and reached a whole tribal group with the gospel of Christ. And so it's exciting. If you're interested in, in that, you can learn more at BibleAndTheologyMatters.com. And so what makes Christianity unique from all other world religions? I had the privilege of teaching a course on world religions for 14 years, over the, uh, and I always started with this. So this really is developing out of uh, my course on world religions, but I think it's so important and so unique and so helpful for us today, answering this question, what makes Christianity unique? What makes it different from all of, other, all of the other world religions? In 1 Peter 3.15, we read, be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Uh, during our time together, I want to give you four answers to this question of what makes Christianity unique or different from all other world religions. Because if you haven't been asked, why do you say you Christians or your brand of Christianity says there's only one way? Isn't there just many paths to the same final destination? Aren't many lifestyles legitimate and equal options? Well, we need to be able to answer that question. Why do we say Christianity is different, it's unique? And so I hope to give you four answers to that that you can uh, provide to your neighbors and to your friends and to your 
family members as they ask this question. Inevitably, they will if they haven't already. So we live in a pluralistic society, don't we? That's simply a big word that means all religions go the same destination. And, and the word tolerance is, is thrown around greatly. And, and you and I, if we say there's only one way to peace with God the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ, are likely to be portrayed as a spiritual bigot, intolerant, behind the times, archaic. And actually, J Jewish Rabbi Shmuley would have you to believe that you are. One morning newspaper has written that Rabbi Shmuley may be the most influential rabbi in the United States. Uh, he was famous for a television program that was on the TLC network, the Learning Channel, entitled Shalom in the Home. Has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Shalom, of course, means peace, and home is, you know, rhymes with it. And his well-intended, uh, well-intentioned purpose was to bring peace to families characterized by fighting. Well, Rabbi Shmuley was in a debate with one of my former professors at the time, now a colleague of mine here at Dallas Theological Seminary. And they were in a debate, and this debate, while I was in Hungary, it was live at 2 a.m., Hungary time, and so I stayed up until 2 a.m. so I could hear this debate between Rabbi Shmuley and uh, two other evangelical professors. And the debate was about an entirely different subject. It had nothing to do with what Rabbi Shmuley wanted to debate about. But Rabbi Shmuley really hijacked that whole discussion, and it never got to the subject that they were supposed to debate. Rabbi Shmuley looked over at my professor and this other professor and said, admit to me you believe I'm going to hell. And you could hear a needle drop, right? as quiet as it was in this room. Right? Rabbi Shmuley proceeded to portray my professor, now colleague, and this other evangelical professor as intolerant, close-minded, archaic, and a spiritual bigot. Well, in the day in which we live, we need to be able to respond with grace and truth. Truth is important, and grace and love is as well. And so we can't shrink back uh, from an answer that includes truth. So today, I want to answer this question, what makes Christianity unique from all other world religions? And the first thing that makes Christianity unique from all other world religions, and by the way, these four points are going to focus on Christ. <laughs> surprise, surprise. All four points focus on Christ. The first being the message of Christ. The message of Christ makes Christianity unique from all other world religions. And the first passage I'd like us to look together with uh, at is John chapter 14, verses 1 to 6. And in John chapter 14, 1 to 6, this is taking place in the upper room. This is, we we're celebrating the resurrection last Sunday, and so this is, this is the hours before, <coughs> excuse me, this is just hours before Judas is going to betray Jesus. And just minutes before this, Jesus has told Peter that Peter is going to deny him three times before the sun rises. And so couched between these very difficult events, Traumatic events, Jesus is comforting his disciples in the upper room, preparing them for 
the difficult day that is ahead and for them to take on the gospel beyond his departure. And so uh, pick up with me in John chapter 4. We're going to be reading verses 1 to 6, but really focusing on verse 6. In John chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, Jesus says, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You know the way where I am going. Lord, Thomas said, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And here's our verse. In this context, Jesus says, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the fact that you haven't left us in ignorance. You could have left us without your revealed word. You didn't have to enter into time and space in the person of Jesus Christ and provide for our salvation, but we thank you that you did. And we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in this written word, the word of God that's inspired, God-breathed, that's inerrant, without error in the original manuscripts, and we thank you for that, that we can know you. We can apply the truths that are just as relevant to the disciples in the first century to our lives today. And it's in your son, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, what makes Christianity unique from all other world religions? Would you help me? The first thing that makes Christianity unique from all other world religions is the message of Christ. The message of Christ. What makes the message of Christ unique? Well, it's an exclusive message. It's an exclusive message. Notice that Jesus did not say, he did not say, I am a way to eternal life. That article, the, is pretty important, isn't it? He didn't say, I am a way to eternal life, along with other ways to eternal life, like Buddhism, which, or Hinduism, or Islam, which ha- didn't exist yet, but the Greco-Roman wor- world, certainly, and the gods of the Greco-Roman world did exist. Jesus didn't say, I'm just a way to eternal life. He said, I am the way. Jesus did not say, I am a source of eternal life, much like Quran, the Quran of Islam, uh, excuse me, a a way, a source of truth, much like the Quran of Islam, or the Vedas and Vedantas of Hinduism, or the teachings of Buddha, known as the Pali Canon. No, Jesus said, I am the source of truth. Jesus did not say, I am a path to eternal life, like all the other religions and alternatives that are out there. No, Jesus said, I am the life. And if for some reason this is still not clear to us and we can't get it through our thick skulls, Jesus makes it crystal clear. No room for vagueness or uncertainty. Jesus restated, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus left no room for interpretation. He left no room for 
vagueness, it's crystal clear that, Jesus, that God the Father in his omniscience has chosen to make a way for us to have peace with God. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, truth by its very definition excludes, doesn't it? For me to be here at Firewheel means that I can't not be here at Firewheel. The most basic laws of logic is that something to be true, the opposite cannot be true. For Jesus' message to be true, and it is, then Hinduism, which estimated about 330 million different gods, cannot be true. For Jesus' message to be true, and it is, then the teaching of Buddhism, that there is no God at all, and we are just an illusion, cannot be true. For Jesus' message to be true, and it is, then the teaching of Islam, that Muhammad is the greatest prophet, and obedience to his commands are required cannot be true. For Jesus' message to be true, and it is, then the teachings of animism um, or tribal religions, that man cannot have a relationship with this supreme being, this teaching cannot be true if Christianity is true, and it is. For Jesus' message to be true, then the teaching of Catholicism that we can gain enough good grace from the sacraments cannot be true. For Jesus' message to be true, and it is, then the teachings of rabbinic Judaism, that one will escape judgment and be rewarded if you are righteous enough, that teaching cannot be true. Rabbi Shmuley, the same individual I mentioned in my introductory illustration in this debate, while I was listening to this at 2 a.m. in Hungary, This live debate, Rabbi Shmuley said, I don't want Christ's righteousness. I want my righteousness. And as I sat there in my room listening to that at 2 a.m., tears welled up in my eyes because Rabbi Shmuley completely missed the whole purpose of the Hebrew Bible. There is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that doeth good. The Hebrew Bible was to point us to the fact that we can't be good enough. We can't be righteous enough. That Jesus Christ is the only person in human history that's ever been righteous enough. And that's because he's fully God, the eternal God and the perfect man, all in one. There is none righteous, no, not one. And I hope I can speak on your behalf. I'm thankful that I have Christ's righteousness. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might receive Christ's righteousness. That's an unfair exchange, isn't it? Our sin is imputed, is put upon him, and if we trust in Christ as our finished, as a payment for our sin, his righteousness is imputed on us. And so when God looks down upon us, having placed our faith in Christ, he no longer sees a sinner but a saint. He no longer sees our sinfulness but Christ's righteousness. And so I'm thankful. The Hebrew Bible was always intended, and the law was always intended to point us to the fact that we can't be righteous enough. We can't do enough good to appease a holy God. Now, we know that none of the scriptures were actually written by Jesus himself, were they? 
They were actually written by apostles and close associate apostles that were uh, students of Jesus. And so, uh, but in John 14, Jesus reminded his disciples, said, I'm going to send you another comforter, a paraclete. The word is para, to come alongside. Uh, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, who's going to bring to your memory the things I've taught you. So we expect that the teachings of the apostles would align with what we just read about the words of Jesus himself. In this passage, as we're going to look in Acts 4.12, Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin, the very same Sanhedrin that just a few days earlier had said Jesus was guilty and brought him before Pontius Pilate. And, and Peter and John are going to stand before Caiaphas, the same Caiaphas who ripped, Jesus, ripped his garments when Jesus identified himself as the Son of Man. And, and brought him before Pontius Pilate because of his statements about who he is. That all led to, um, so Peter and John are standing before Caiaphas, before Sanhedrin, the same Sanhedrin, the same Caiaphas that um, put Jesus to death. Thank you. They, they're expecting their life probably to be taken as well. Right? Their future to be the same destiny as as. Jesus was. And so they're brought before, P before the Sanhedrin, they're told to stop preaching about this Jesus. And what do they say? They say, we can't, right? They say, we can't. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. They're willing to die for this truth, because they recognized, just as Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter and John repeated the same exclusive message. There's no salvation outside of Jesus himself. While I was in Hungary, one of my um, heroes of the faith, he goes by the name of Shani Bachi, um, excuse me, uh, Bela Bachi. Um, uh, he, I messed that up again, Geza Bachi. Bachi means uncle, and so uh, a person that's respected by others is often taught, referred to as uncle or uh, bachi and his, his name, first name was Geza. Uh, he was living in Hungary under communism. He was called in the secret, head, secret police headquarters and told to stop basically the same thing that Peter and John were told, stop preaching this message. And he gave a similar answer, knowing that he may not ever leave that secret police headquarters. And God was gracious to preserve his life, but he said the same, I can't be quiet. There's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 10, 13 to 15, Paul also right, repeats the same exclusive message that Jesus repeated and that Peter and John repeated. And in Romans 10, 13 to 15, we read, in Romans 10, 13 to 15, we read, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can we call on him who they've not heard? and have not believed in, and how can they believe without hearing about him, and how can they hear without a preacher, and how can they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Jesus said, and Peter and John repeated, and Paul repeated, that there's one way to peace with God the Father, and that's through his Son, Jesus Christ. One of my favorite preachers, H.B. Uh, Charles, puts it this way, we can't get to heaven by multiple choice. Right? 
There's only one way, one option, that's through the person of Jesus Christ. So what makes Christianity unique from all other world religions? The first thing is, let's try that again. The first thing that makes Christianity unique from all other world religions is the message of Christ. The second thing that makes Christianity unique from all other world religions is the character of Christ. The character of Christ. One apologist has put it this way, the entire life of anyone making prophetic or divine claims must be observed in concert with the teaching offered. This is precisely what makes Jesus so unique. In other words, if someone proclaims to be a prophet of God, and especially if someone claims to be God himself, which is what Jesus did, you'd expect their life to match their preaching. And no other human in all of human history has ever lived perfectly who've been identical with their message. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, a famous Swiss, Franco-Swiss philosopher, taught on child raising, yet he had 11 illegitimate children. He was not identical with his message. Siddhartha, aka Buddha, the enlightened one, supposedly reached nirvana and should have escaped the suffering of pain and death, but he himself, historians believe, died of eating poisonous mushrooms. He was not identical with his message. Muhammad preached that men could have only four wives, only four wives, but he took 11 wives, and the youngest one was nine years old when he consummated the relationship. Muhammad was not identical with his message. No human being, apart from Christ himself, was identical with his message. Jesus did not just expound his message, he was identical with it. He who preached on being a servant was the lowliest of servants, got on his knees and washed his disciples' feet. He who preached on humility died the most humiliating death, reserved for the worst of criminals. He who taught his disciples to pray was a model by getting up early in the morning to pray. He who taught about forgiveness while on the cross, what did he say? Forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus Christ was identical with his message. What makes Christianity unique from all other world religions? The first thing is the message of Christ. The second thing is the character of Christ. The third thing is, I bet you had this on your list, the resurrection of Christ, right? The resurrection of Christ. And we've just recently celebrated that. And um, the Eastern world is celebrating it uh, in the coming, maybe even today, or in the coming week. All authorities needed to do to establish or to stop this growing movement, the way, and following this Jesus of Nazareth, all they had to do was provide a body, but they were not able to. Luke informs us in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, that Christ appeared over 40 days. So you might not realize this, but the Pentecost, Acts 2, remember Pentecost, the day the church began, is only 50 days after Passover. Only 50 days after Passover. So when Jesus died, only 50 days later is the day of Pentecost. And in between 40 days, Jesus is appearing. 
So the world is turned upside down on what's going on. First the week, the Passion Week, and Jesus' triumphal entry to then his death on the cross and then his resurrection. And bodies are raising from the grave and going out and speaking to people. And then Jesus appears for 40 days, performing many convincing proofs. In Acts 1-3 we read, After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days. Wouldn't you like to know some of those convincing proofs? What were they? I'd like to, my curiosity. Certainly just physically having the marks of the crucifixion would have been one. Appearing for 40 days, another. But he appeared with many convincing proofs. Not only do we learn from Luke that Jesus appeared for over 40 days with many convincing proofs, Paul tells us that in just one of those appearances, 1 Corinthians 15 is the great resurrection chapter, that Paul recounts the resurrection and many of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 5 and 6, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers at one time. And I think brothers or men would be a better translation, literally, I think the word here is idea of men because they may not have even been counting the women and children. It may have been upwards of 1,500 if you count all the women and children. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. In other words, Paul's saying in just one appearance over the 40 days that Luke tells us, just one of those appearances just appeared to 500 men, possibly up to 1,500 on just one appearance. And Paul says, if you don't believe my eyewitness count, Paul saw the resurrected Christ. Jesus appeared to him later. If you don't believe my account, consult these 500 men, because many of them are still alive. Well, why couldn't the religious leaders stop the movement of the way? Because Jesus had appeared to so many over such a long period of time. You couldn't explain it away by some sort of large hypnosis that occurred or some swoon theory or all different theories that um, theologically uh, liberal scholars try to come up with to, to explain away the resurrection. There is no humanistic explanation, no naturalistic explanation. Jesus Christ had appeared to so many. So these disciples who were fearful at the death of, of Christ, who denied Christ, Peter, become bold martyrs for the cause of Christ, having seen the resurrected Christ and having received the Holy Spirit. Simon Greenleaf was a professor of law at Harvard University in the 18th century. He was challenged by a student to prove that the resurrection did not occur. He sought out to prove this student wrong that challenged him, and as a result, he came to faith in Christ himself. And he writes, as only an attorney... A lawyer training other attorneys could write, he, he said it this way, no unbiased jury would ever reject the resurrection of Christ. It's one of the most well-attested facts of history. You might be familiar with the name Lee Strobel, author of the book Case for Christ, and his story was developed into a movie. You might also know that Lee Strobel was a journalist. His wife came to faith in Christ, and he wanted to prove the resurrection, and that Christianity was a scam. But as he 
applying his journalistic principles to investigate the evidence, came to trust in Christ himself. He came to believe in Jesus and, of course, is a popular apologist today. One of my favorite apologists, J. Warner Wallace, is the author of Cold Case Christianity. He was a cold case detective, an atheist, that would, his job as a detective was to investigate cold cases. They, they've lost the trail and there's no solution for who committed these murders. And he applied his cold case detective skills to the historicity, or lack thereof, of the resurrection. And he, as a cold case detective, came to faith in Christ as a result. One last illustration under the resurrection. Chuck Colson is most famous for his part in the Watergate scandal under President Richard Nixon. He was known as Nixon's hatchet man. Due to his part in obstructing justice, he was put in prison, and that's probably the best thing that ever happened to him because while in prison, he came to faith in Christ. He says it this way, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. I'm assuming the 12th man is Matthias, the replacement for Judas. 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, and stoned and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me 12 apostles could keep alive for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. You're not willing to die for a lie if you know that lie is a lie. There are people who are willing to die for a lie that strap bombs their body, that fly planes into buildings but they believe it to be the truth. The disciples knew the truth, and they weren't willing to die for a lie. All of them were scattered at the death of Christ, became bold martyrs for the cause of Christ, having seen the resurrected Christ and having received the Holy Spirit. What makes Christianity unique from all other world religions? The first thing is the message of Christ. The second thing is the character of Christ. The third thing is resurrection of Christ. And the fourth thing is the provision of Christ. The provision of Christ. And what do I mean by the provision of Christ? Well, all other, well, all man-made religions boil down to works. All man-made religions boil down to works, trying to work our way to God, man-centered, anthro, uh, anthro-centered. Whether it's Judaism, like Rabbi Shmuley, trying to be righteous enough, or Hinduism, trying to acquire enough good karma over many lifetimes, or good action in this birth, death, life, rebirth cycle. Or Buddhism, meditating long enough and hard enough and in the right position. Or Islam, obeying the five pillars of Islam. Or Catholicism, doing the sacraments to get enough grace to appease God. Or many Protestants, doing good works, being baptized. None of that will appease a holy God. Biblical Christianity is about grace. It's not about what I can do for God. It's about what Christ has done for us. All other man-made religions are about do, 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 but Christianity is about done, done, done. 
Ryrie, uh, quote Ryrie here that says, the direction of the gospel is from Christ to me. It's never from me to him. What could I possibly offer that would help meet my need? Aren't you thankful that Christ has done everything? That we just need to trust in what Christ has done for us in our place. That we can't be good enough. It's he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might receive Christ's righteousness. Three quick applications. First, are you like Rabbi Shmuley this morning? Are you trying to depend on your own righteousness? I must tell you with, with love that you're gravely mistaken. We can't be righteous enough. We can only trust in Christ's righteousness. Second, if you are a believer in Christ today, as Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, we need to give account for the hope that's within us. And I hope that I've helped you to be better equipped with these four answers to do that. To do with grace and love, but with truth. And finally, we can and should be prepared and expect some pushback. We should expect this message not to be well received. But like, um, like Gezebachi, we can't be quiet because there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you knew that there's nothing we can do to earn or to deserve salvation. But we're so thankful that you entered into time and space, that you died in our place, that you took our sins upon you, and you offer to us, to anyone who will trust in you as their Savior, righteousness. It's not what we can do, but it's what you have done, and we thank you. Help us to be a beacon of light. Help us to share truth with love and grace to our friends, to our neighbors, to our community, and give us grace when it may not be well received. Thank you for this church and stance for the gospel. I pray that you'd bless them as they reach this community with that gospel. And it's in your son Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So at this point, I'd like to uh, have the prayer warriors come up front, and we're going to sing one last song with you guys. So if you guys will stand and worship with us this morning.
Good to see everyone this morning. It's been a while since I've been on here with a microphone. Who knows what's liable to happen. Uh, but no, if the ushers could come forward real quick for the offering. Uh, bow your heads with me and let me pray. Uh, dear Lord, thank you so much. You are a God who needs nothing. And yet you allow us to give back in such a tangible and real way. Uh, Lord, please take this offering and bless it. Uh, let us use it for all the purposes of your kingdom. In your name, amen.
Uh, and now we have a very special announcement video. Please watch. Hello, and welcome to Firewheel Bible Fellowship, where we strive to be Christ-centered and gospel-focused. Here's what's happening at Firewheel. Following Jesus Changes the Game is the theme of this year's VBS, Twists and Turns, on July 24th through 28th, from 6 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Want to help out? There are so many ways, from donating supplies or volunteering to make yummy snacks, to building decorations, to hanging out with the kids during the week of VBS. This is a great way to show Firewheel kids and their friends that they are loved. Check out the Twists and Turns display in the lobby for more info, or contact Barbara at firewheelfellowship.com. Can't wait to hear from you. Just a reminder, camp registration and deposit are due today. April 21st at 6.30 p.m. Join us for a night of worship and prayer as we come together to praise and honor our Savior. Our prayer partners will also be available to pray with you. April 30th is the fifth Sunday of the month, and we're going to do something a little different. And by that, we mean worship together as the entire Firewheel family. A family room will be available in the great room for those who would like it, as there will be no children's ministry at 11 a.m. Do you have the spring cleaning bug? So do we. Cleanup day is May 6th. It is time to replace some of the shrubs on the north side of the church along Toller Road. Each plant is $58. If you would like to donate to the project, you can go online to firewheelbiblefellowship.com, select giving in the menu, and choose landscaping in the drop-down menu, or write a check to Firewheel Bible Fellowship with landscaping in the memo. For more info on these or any of the events going on around Firewheel, check us out at firewheelfellowship.com events, or you can find us on social media. Hello, Firewheel family. What a wonderful time worshiping our Lord today. A special thanks to Dr. Weaver. Uh, really looking forward to next week. I will share our benediction and then stay tuned for a special request. May the Lord go before you to light the path and give you direction. May he go behind you to guide your steps. May he go beside you to keep you from stumbling. May he go above you to protect you. And may he go within you to give you the power of the Holy Spirit. And may our Father in heaven always grant you the character that is greater than your gifts and humility that is greater than your influence. And now for that special request, we would love if some of you would stick behind for just a few minutes and help us stack chairs. That would be greatly appreciated. Have a blessed week. Don't forget, Father, you are loved. You are loved.